Good morning. We're going to have a message today that the enemy doesn't want us to hear. I know that for one very simple reason. My iPad just started acting up crazy like I've never seen it do before. It started doing something that I'm, I'm not a techie, but I just prayed a quick prayer and said, Lord, this is yours. And it stopped because it was just going wacky. So I usually find that's the case when the enemy is trying to really uh, interfere with what God wants to do. So to, to, to start that off, um, I want us all to hear the words of the first psalm. The words of King David, one of the key people in the Jewish and Christian history. As we're getting started today, I want us to hear that. So uh, Psalm 1-1 starts and it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, what's your delight? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In other words, this person constantly looks for what is right. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not, does not wither in all that he does. All that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. In other words, they're fickle. They go here and there. They get like getting blown around with the wind. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Hear that word, because it's critical for our understanding today. Righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What do you think of that? With all that's going on in our world today, is this the way that we live? Meditating on God and on his ways, day and night? Or do we tend to use other standards for our behavior and for our actions other than God and his righteousness? Do we do right regardless of all else? And if not, why not? Let's think about that right now. First, let's pray. Lord, guide us in order to hear you and help us to know what you want for us and from us every day in every situation. Let your spirit fill us with all truth and power in the name of Jesus. To put this all into perspective, we're going to... uh, over quite a bit of scripture today. We're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 16. And we're going to go all the way through part of chapter 19. And we're going to look at Elijah. I love Elijah. He's, he's one of, I think, the most important prophets of God ever. little backstory. In chapters uh, 16, verse 29, we're told that Ahab became king over Israel at this time. Verse 30 says, And Ahab did more evil in the sight of God, more than all the kings before him. Now that's quite a statement, don't you think? 
31 and 32 say that Ahab took Jezebel for his wife and then he went and served Baal and worshipped Baal. 33 says Ahab made an Asherah and Ahab did more to provoke the God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Wow! That's a statement. Now we're told that... uh, we're not told how, how they make this connection, but in the 17.1, you have Elijah showing up. Elijah the prophet. And he's somehow found his way to Ahab. And he makes a, uh, a conversation with Ahab. And he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Can you imagine going up to Biden right now and telling him something like that? He goes to Ahab, this ruthless king, and says that type of thing. I got to thinking, you know, that's, that's, just imagine that. No more rain. No more dew. That's radical climate change way back then. Anyway, despite that, God tells Elijah what to do next, and In chapter 17, 3 to 6, he says, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. That's a key thing for us to realize, to do what the Lord tells us to do. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Note here that even the wildlife do what God tells them to do. Well, the brook eventually dries up, but the word of the Lord comes to Elijah in in verse 8 and says, okay, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and well there, I have commanded a widow to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Boy, those are famous last words, huh? Do not fear. I'm going to go die, but don't fear. Go and do as you said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and her, she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to what? The word of the Lord. 
that he spoke to Elijah. Well, time goes on, and verses 17 to 24 tells us the story. But the woman's son got ill to the point that he stopped breathing. And the woman questions Elijah's legitimacy, saying in verse 18, What have you against me, O man of God? You've come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged, and he laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. 23 says, And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in in your mouth is truth. How about that? Even when things are in doubt, God will make his will and his righteousness known. Chapter 18 goes on and says, After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Three years this drought's been going on, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Elijah then told Ahab, uh, he had told Ahab about the drought three years before this, and now it's going to end just like that? Really? Well, Elijah finds Obadiah. Now, Obadiah works for Ahab, but he's been helping out the prophets of God by keeping them alive and fed and hidden in some caves. And he did it without Ahab knowing about it. And Elijah tells Obadiah to tell Ahab that Elijah was back and wants to talk to him, to which Obadiah is fearful because he thinks Ahab will kill him if Elijah disappears again like he did before. And the meeting doesn't come to pass. Well, but eventually they meet. Verses 17 to 19, it says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have troubled Israel. And you and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord. In other words, you're not doing what's right. And you followed the Baals, and you knew it. And therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Verse 20 says, So Ahab actually did this, and sent for all the people of Israel, and gathered the prophets. And Elijah came near to the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different options? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people didn't answer a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. 
Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, it is well spoken. Well, they did this. And prepared it and called on the name of Baal, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. And no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry louder, for he is God. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps, perhaps he's asleep and, and needs to be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves and they raved on, but no one answered. No one paid attention. Can you imagine what Elijah was feeling right then? But Elijah said to all the people, come over here once. Come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he he repaired the altar that had been thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob of whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. 32 says, And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would hold two seahs of seeds. And he put the word, the wood in order, and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. What a statement. Verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets, the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And he brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. In the meantime, Elijah let it rain again and and warned Ahab that that's what was going to happen. Chapter 19 says, basically, so Ahab goes running home to Jezebel to tell her what had happened, how God had shown up, and how Elijah had killed her prophets, to which verse 2 says, she sends a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. 
And it says, then Elijah was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Verse 4 says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, it is, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets by the sword. And I, only I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Verse 15 says, And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And God goes on and gives Elijah a whole series of things he wants done next, including anointing Elisha to replace himself. And God finishes in verse 18 by saying, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Do you ever think that God loses or that he doesn't have a plan for what to do next? Don't. Because he always wins. And at that, I've got to say, wow, what a series of stories, huh? I know this is a lot, a lot of things to hear and to ponder, especially at one sitting. But I think that this isn't a lot of stories. But this is really one big story. And if you think about it, 
It's actually our story. It's our story of today. We really have the same type of conflict going on in this world in general and in our country in particular right now. I don't know if you listen to the news, but every day there are more people out there speculating on what's going to happen next, on how evil is winning, and what's going to happen to people of faith. But let me remind you that God gave Elijah a lot of guts. He was in bad situations. He was in dire situations. Just like we tend to be. But he gave, God gave him guts. Think about that. He had the guts to go to Ahab with terrible news about this drought that was coming. He had the guts to challenge Ahab and the prophets of Baal to this ultimate God face-off, if you will. He had the guts to actually slaughter the prophets of Baal when Baal didn't show up, but God did. All the while believing that he was the only one left to do all this work. He even had the guts to travel 40 days into the wilderness in order to talk to God knowing full well that he he wouldn't be able to see him face to face or he would die. This guy was really amazing when you think about it. Except for one little thing. One little shortcoming. Jezebel scared the tar out of him. Think about it. He had just seen God show up in this awesome way. Fire from heaven came down. Devoured the uh, the sacrifice. But the very next day, he's terrified that Jezebel is going to live up to her threats and take him out. And so he runs, and it says he runs for his life. Doesn't sound very sure-footed at this moment. And yet, even Elijah's failures, God uses for his own purposes. Think about it. Why does Elijah do all that he does? He does it for God. He does it because God has told him to do it. He does it in God's time, and he does it because that messaging from God makes it the right thing to do. He seeks God, and he seeks to do what God asks him, asks him to do, even when it puts him in a seemingly bad situation. He's got a relationship with God that is awesome. Think about it. He even has the confidence to go after God. He really he, he gets in his face and he, he starts talking to him and, and, and yelling at him about the life of this woman's son. He's not afraid of God. He's not afraid of much. But when he does chicken out, it's, it's really big time. He gets scared off by none other, than, none other than Queen Jezebel, Ahab's wife, this nasty and vindictive puller of strings, the Hillary Clinton of her day. Can you, might have, can you imagine how she might have attacked him if this was today? how she would have uh, 
what, what she would have said or how she would have spun the situation and his actions. She would, she would have said something like, well, you know, he was sponging off that widow or that he was keeping water from flowing in order to kill innocent people, or that Elijah was trying to take over Ahab's country, or that Elijah was a ruthless murderer of indigenous people. Nothing that Elijah did would have made her say that he was actually doing things in a good manner. That's because good is oftentimes the enemy of what's right. And yet humans and us, we try and do good all the time. Many say, well, they've told me, especially at work, I'm a good person, isn't that enough? The question then remains, by what standards do we measure the concept of good? It always changes, depending on the situation and the people involved in it. Actually, you know, as far as humanity is concerned, Good is seldom good enough. Let me put it this way. There are many things that society considers good that are good today, but weren't good yesterday and may not be good tomorrow. How often have you found a good restaurant, decent food, prices, service, and then you send a friend there, but they don't find it quite so good? And then what happens? You get offended because they don't like what you like. And so your value system is put in question because they don't think the same way you do. Good is always very nebulous, very moving, very hard to make a standard from it. And if you try to, you have to be prepared for disappointment because what you think is good may not be this ever-moving standard. Take, for instance, giving things away that we as a society can't afford to give away just in order to get votes. Right now, this is looked at as a good thing by a whole bunch of people. It's also considered good by some to not care about uh, what runaway gas prices and inflation are doing to our families Because green energy and equity for all inequities in society is more important. Furthermore, embracing ideas and lifestyles that God once called abominations before and shutting down the ability for the word of God and the hope that's in that word to get to those who need to know it, well, this censorship is a good good thing to many people too. Because, you know, God... And his ways are just, they're just too old-fashioned and too radical for today's enlightened society. Did you know that studies say that these kind of thoughts are turning millions of people into atheists and away from Christianity? Further ideas like anytime abortion for the unborn, all the way to euthanasia for anybody else who just doesn't want to live anymore, are much more in line with today's radical left agenda. Don't laugh, because there are at least 13 states and a whole bunch of countries out there worldwide who have legalized the idea of euthanasia on demand. 
for any reason. Well, how about this one? If you don't like life as a man and want to try it as a woman or vice versa, you can do that now. It's okay. It's good. Good for who? You know, when the scripture says that Ahab was more evil than all the kings that came before him, I have to ask myself, is that still the case? Or have we way passed the evil of Ahab and his contempt for God as more global elites want to eliminate even the conversation of God because in reality they want to be him. They want to control you and me. Our money, our lives, our ability to govern ourselves, our ability to travel and come and go as we please. It's all already happening in China. And it's all potentially on the horizon for us here too. There are banking experts that I've heard from that say that such a, this social credit system that are tied to your bank accounts and your health situation and your buying habits is already in motion, already to be rolled out here. And the threat is getting closer and closer every day because the systems have already been put in place that most people have fallen for. All the governmental giveaways that are too good to be true, all the microchips that are being planted in things and soon to be in people, all the lifestyle changes that follow us in everything we do, like getting everybody vaxxed and vaccine passported in order to regulate their coming and going, or everybody getting used to online banking and debit cards that may eventually get a stranglehold on our lives, or self-driving cars that don't belong to you, but just come when you call, or not, depending on your social credit score. It's all looked at as good by more and more people right now. At this point, they won't have to think anymore because it's all automated. It's all good. And it's all the enemy. Remember this. Good isn't necessarily good. A right is always right. And yet even right isn't right for its own sake. For instance, you know, I want to be right. I imagine all of us want to be right. But I want to be right because God has told me what to do and how to make that happen. Right, unlike good, isn't about me. It's about following God and doing what he says and what he sees fit with these lives of ours. Matthew has lots to say about this in chapter 6. 6.1, 6, he leads off uh, by reminding us to beware of practicing your righteousness, being right, before other people in order to be, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. What do you mean no reward? I, I want a reward, don't you? We all want rewards, especially for doing something good. We deserve rewards. That's what society says. However, no, you don't deserve a reward, nor do I, nor do any of us. 
The truth is that we don't deserve anything except death for all the sin that we've done against God. And that includes all of us. And yet that's where the joy and the hope and the grace of God comes in. The grace that Pastor Mike talked about last week. God's grace, his unmerited favor, has been put in place by him through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And he did it for our sake. You see, he knows that we're going to goof up. He knows that even if we do everything right, that we're going to make mistakes from time to time, just like Elijah did when he went running for his life after just seeing God in all his splendor. Did God get mad at him for that? No. Instead, he made sure Elijah was fed and cared for and even even walked close to him, walked by him and showed him the backside of his presence as he walked past the cave. I don't think that God is so concerned that we get everything right, but he's concerned that we're seeking and making every effort to do exactly that. You know, good, the concept of good can be reinterpreted and looked at in many different ways, many different earthly ways every day. But right is of God. And it's not of mankind. And it comes from the word righteous or righteousness. This is what Matthew had to say about that from chapter 6, verses 31 to 33. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the pagans, the non-believers, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, 33, this is the punchline. Seek first. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There it is. His righteousness. Seek that first. Not good works, not good words from society. His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Everything else is a bonus. Everything else is a cherry on top. That's why we do right regardless. Because that's how we see and find and brag about God. But in reality, we're just pointing the way to him. It really is all about him. And not about us. And yet by putting him first, we win too. As a byproduct of doing right. Remember, good can be good. Or not. But right, now that's the ticket. That's what David sought. And what he taught in the Psalms. That's also what Elijah sought as he lived for God. And that's what we need to seek to. Seek him and find him. Then live accordingly. Doing it through Jesus, our Lord, his son, our savior, today and always. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, answer me. Answer me, O Lord, that this people may know that you, Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Lord, we pray this as Elijah prayed it for our family and for our nation, that at this time of elections, you would show yourself 
to the masses and they would believe and change their ways to live for you. Lord, there seems to be so much effort and energy spent on removing faith and you from the hearts of the people today. Oftentimes today, science and medicine have become society's God, the current day Baal. And yet you are what was needed in Elijah's day, and you are still what we need today. We beg you to show up in this election and in this land, making it perfectly clear to the modern Ahabs and Jezebels that you won't stand for their foolishness anymore. Lord, protect us from the enemy as we seek you. Keep us on track to not just do good, but to do right regardless of everything else. Elijah did it, and we know that we can do it too with your strength. We pray this in the name of the one who overcame it all for us on the cross. Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Maybe you're in that situation that uh, you've been with God, you haven't been with God, you've been with God, you've walked away, and you're feeling the need to get right with him. Maybe you've never been right with him and you want to accept him for the first time today. Maybe you want to go through even further and walk through the, the waters of baptism he tells us to go through. However, our Lord is speaking to your heart right now and asking you to do the right thing. I would encourage you to come in front of this gathering in, in front of our God and express the desires of your heart. There'll be people up here to pray with you and to be with you and to help you as you seek the rightness of God right now. God bless you. Let's stand together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in his grace today and do right.